You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Very good. Excellent, excellent. How is everybody? Good? I thought Zach did a good job. First night on the drums tonight, mate, from church. Big round of applause for the amazing Zach. He's normally at the back on the sound desk. There's not much he can't do. Next week he's going to be doing a dance and, uh, and singing and just to prove the incredible talent of the young man that he actually is. And he's single two ladies, just to let, let you know that. Um, hey, we've got a few weeks coming up to Easter. I guess you'll all be aware of that. And Easter is a shocking time. Um, the whole concept of being crucified on a cross is an absolute shocking uh, turn of events. Uh, I think sometimes we... We pass over it a little bit and we don't realise how gory and how bloody and just how disgusting uh, it actually was. But then again, so was a lot of what Jesus said. And uh, so for the next few Sunday nights as we move through to Easter, I'm going to be sharing each Sunday night on one of the shocking statements of Jesus. And he he made a fair few. We're going to drill down on one in just a moment. But normally what happens is that people like me kind of, you know, just breeze over them. We don't uh, dwell on them. We don't drill down on them. And people like you who read it, when you're reading your, you know, if you're reading the Gospels or whatever, you go, ah, that's a bit stupid. And you just pass over it. You keep reading. For example, Jesus said, if your hand sins, what? Stop it. (laughs) Tie it behind your back. What did he say? If your hand sins... Cut it off. Who does that? I mean, could you imagine, right, Discipleship 101 tonight, right? You new Christians, you come along. And I say, okay, uh, anyone done anything naughty this week? <laughs> anyone put their hand where it shouldn't have been? Just hang on a minute while I get out the knife, sharpen it up. Slice your hand off. Uh, you've got to be kidding me, don't you? I mean, was, he, was Jesus serious when he said that? He said things like, um, if someone asks for your coat, give them your shirt as well. Now, could you imagine if, if someone said, you know, oh, look, I'm a bit cold, can you lend me your coat? And you went, well, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I'll just, uh, have you ever seen anyone actually do that? Anyone walking around bare-chested in the, in, in the freezing cold? Look, to put it in some kind of cultural context, it'd be like this. It'd be like you get off the train station, right? And you've got the, the um, Salvation Army guy there with a tin, sort of going, chick, 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 you know. Um, anyone sp- spare, a, spare a coin for whatever, for the poor people? And you walk up to that guy and say, you want $2 or something? I tell you what, open up your wallet. You've just been paid. Uh, back in the old days, you got paid with cash. Let's assume that all your wages was in the wallet. And you went, oh, here, have all of my weekly wage. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone up to someone who was asking you for $2 and gave them every cent you had? No? Yes? Have you? Ha- has anyone? <laughs> no? Okay, thank you. You can answer the questions. It's okay. It's okay. Um, he taught, Jesus teaches on divorce, right? Now, if you're not married, listen up. Jesus teaches on divorce, and he gets to a point where it's just so bleak and so harsh, and you can check this out for yourself, that some of his followers say to Jesus, Jesus, is it better not to marry? And Jesus is deafening in his silence on how he responds to that question from his disciples. Is it better not to marry? It is so 
incredibly harsh. He talks about forgiveness. Well, what about people who don't deserve forgiveness? What about people who aren't sorry? What, what, what about people who have done nothing to indicate any kind of penance or repentance? Do you have to forgive everybody all the time? That's a radical statement beyond measure. Nobody actually thinks that you should. Forgive people no matter what they do and no matter what their reaction is. Yet Jesus said, you should do this. I'll tell you one of the most radical things he said. This might not strike you as radical uh, first up. But he said this. He said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. What he just said was this. There is a foreign power usurping their authority, uh, uh, the authority of this nation. They've rolled in. They're taxing us beyond measure. right? So it would be like this. To put this in some, again, kind of context for you it'd be like china taking over australia and taxing you at 90 cents in the dollar who would like that no you you know if you like it say yes answer my question would you like that okay so imagine getting taxed 90 cents in the dollar all right and we're looking for somebody who could come and you know rip us out of this this oppressive foreign regime and he comes along and he says give them what they ask for Who's going to follow that person? This is no way to incite some kind of following Jesus. I don't know who was writing his script. I don't know who was advising him. But you don't say pray for your enemies. You say defeat your enemies. You say let's rise up against the oppressor. Come on, follow me and I will lead you to victory and I'll lead you to triumph. And we go, yes, you know. They may take our liberty, right? They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Right? That's, how you, that's how you raise an army. That's how you raise people. You don't turn up and say, oh, being oppressed, are you? Well, give them what they ask for. Oh, yes, let's follow that man. Like, it's, 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 it is crazy. It is inane. He, he, he either was God or he was mad. But here's the thing. If you drill down in this stuff, if you can process it, You can find life-changing truths. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to drill down on some of the most shocking, horrific things that have ever been said to the human race. And tonight, we're going to start off um, on the banks of the uh, Sea of Galilee. It's a whole new way of seeing the world. And Jesus has just fed five thousand men plus women and children so who knows 20,000 people say now they were in raptures over this because you know when Jesus prayed you know he said give us this day our daily bread right you might have heard that the Lord's prayer our father which art in heaven give us this day our daily bread the reason he said that was because in that culture your um, your daily food supply was your pretty much your your only focus of the day you got up in the morning, you went to work, you had enough money to buy food to eat on the way home. That was pretty much how it worked. You lived subsistence day to day, living like this. And so when someone comes and feeds you, you, you know, again, we read it in the Bible, we go, oh, I fed 20,000 people, isn't that marvellous? You've got to understand that this was the most amount of people fed in one place at one time in human history. It had never happened before. They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have food vans. Um, you know, preparing food was an onerous task and you might be able to prepare food for a party, you know, of a, few, of a couple of dozen or something like this because, you know, you had a, a, a pot this big or something. But to feed 20,000 people in one sitting 
was unheard of and had never happened before in the human race. Today, we can do it because we have refrigeration, mass-produced food, etc., etc. But back, back then, like this was mind-blowing. 20,000 people fed in one moment. And the crowd is in raptures, right? The crowd is astonished by what they've just experienced. Because for them, he just gave us our daily bread. I mean, the fish, oh, the fish just melted in your mouth. It was beautiful. You know, the bread, it was so crusty. Mmm, it smelled so beautiful. Jesus has just given us, bread, you know, like freshly cooked fish of fillets, and we love him. That's the best fish I've ever tasted. Um... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I was watching a show last week on the, um, on, on the nation of North Korea. And uh, it was one of the guys who was, um, uh, who was what's his name, Michael Palin from, from Monty Python, was, was wandering around North Korea. And he wandered into this, this little village in this little lady's house. And she sat down and she prepared him a meal with her meagre vegetables, all she had. And she said, oh, I remember years ago. When, the, when Kim Jong-un was so impressed with my work, he gave me a fish. <laughs> she said, I can still remember what it tastes like to have fresh meat. It was so wonderful. He's so marvelous. And this like happened 10 years ago. And this woman is still ruminating over the fact that she once upon a time tasted fresh fish. <laughs> You're impressed. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, so Jesus has given all these people fresh fish. And it's like, wow, he's amazing. He's incredible. Let's follow him. He feeds our bellies. Every day we get up, how are we going to eat? How are we going to survive? How are we going to make it through? And we found somebody who can supply us food. Our number one concern of every day. So Jesus moves to a place called Capernaum, which is sort of uh, uh, on the Galilee, across the Galilee Sea a little bit. And the crowds all follow him around, you know, because, heck, why wouldn't you? You found someone who can feed you. You found someone who's a good supply of food. Right. I mean, you know, could you imagine? It'd be, 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 worse, than, be worse than trying to get toilet paper at Coles, wouldn't it? You know, like food was in scarce supply and Jesus had it in abundance, apparently. There were, there were basketfuls left over. We've got to get to this guy. And so they would have come from all over. And that 20,000 would have swelled because they would have gossiped that around everywhere. This boat creates food from nothing. Right, when we're sort of, God, God, give us today our daily bread. Hope we can get enough food to fill our bellies today. This guy fills our belly. All we've got to do is sit there and watch him do miracles. It's incredible. They would have grabbed every cousin, every neighbour, every friend. You've got to see this guy. He's remarkable. And so the crowd follows him around to this place called Copernicum, where uh, all of a sudden everything changes. They're thinking, wow, we're going to get another Fisher Philip. Maybe we get a Big Mac this time. I don't know. What's he going to do? You know? Maybe we get some dessert. I don't know. He's, he's incredible. And, and, and look at what happens, right? All is about to change. Follow me. In John chapter uh, 6, verse 54. He said, But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise that person up 
on the last days. Now, you've got, to, you've got to understand, they came seeking more bread. And Jesus said just before that, he said, you've eaten, you're hungry again, I'm going to give you bread and you'll never hunger again. What a promise to people who live on the verge of starvation every day. I'm going to give you bread and you'll never hunger again. And, that's, and they're going, oh, wow, this is amazing. And he comes up with that. He comes up with what? He comes up with, ah, drink my blood, eat my flesh. Oh, yuck. You've heard of the vampire diaries? Like, what is he talking about? I mean, I've just brought my cousin to get some fresh fish because he's feeding everybody. And he says, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, that's disgusting. I didn't come here to take a bite off you, mate. Your sweaty, horrible, dusty body. I came here to get some fish. And they were not too happy about this particular statement. Now, we know today what that's talking about. We read that verse and we go, oh, yeah, that's communion. You know, we've got to take the, you know, the emblems and we get that. They had no idea. They're literally listening to what he's saying there with an expectation of being fed and he looks them in the eye and he says I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood and they're thinking to themselves has he lost it and the disciples are thinking to themselves has he lost it how do I know that verse 60 says many disciples said to themselves This is very hard to understand. Has he lost it? (laughs) How can anyone accept this? So the the, the followers of Jesus are starting to question his soundness of mind. And what happens now is the crowd starts to disperse. So all these people who came around hoping for another fresh fish and fill it off off, off the fry pan or whatever, and they got this, suck my blood and eat me, thought, oh, we're out of here. And so the crowd starts to disperse. But the disciples themselves, the 12, the Peter, James, and John, and those guys, they, were, they started to panic because what, what was their buffer, right? What stood between them and certain death, um, the Romans uh, and the religious establishment, was the crowd. Because as long as the crowd wanted to make him king because he fed their stomachs, the Romans couldn't do anything or they'd have civil uprising. The Jewish establishment couldn't do anything because they knew that you know, they would revolt and who knows what might happen. So, so, so if you're one of the disciples, if you're Peter, James or John or whoever, one of the 12, you're like a rock star. You know, you're one of the inner, the, the inner groupies, right? You're the guy right there with the star, with the man. But now, <laughs> oh boy, now you're on the nose. Now things are starting to change. Someone switched the price tag. Things are not as they were yesterday. Yesterday we were heroes. Today we're villains. And, um, and the Bible doesn't say this. I'm going to put it to you that this happened. I'm going to show you why I believe it happened in a minute. But I reckon Peter and John had a whisper conversation in the back. Jesus wouldn't have heard it. But they're starting to say things like this. They're starting to say things like, man... Can you talk to him? No, you talk to him. No, 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 you talk to him. Look, do a miracle. Do a teaching on prayer, you know. Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Nothing up my sleeve. Hey, presto, you know, do something. Like, we, we just can't lose the crowd. We just can't see them all disperse. We've got to do something to keep the crowd. Talk to him. Heal the sick. 
get some lame person to walk, do something. We're in a crisis here. How do I th- why do I think that conversation happened? Verse 61. Jesus was aware that the disciples were complaining. They were whinging about the direction that Jesus is now taking. And they, they wanted to halt it because they could see the detriment that it was having to their agenda, to his popularity. And Jesus makes this profound state, well, asks this profound question. He says, Does this offend you? You offended? <laughs> Are you offended? Are you struggling? Are you starting to doubt? I mean, yes, yesterday it was like, hey, let's take the Romans, let's take the world. And now it's like, we're out of here. Uh, you offended with church now? Uh, you offended with Jesus now? You offended? It says in verse 66, at this point, many disciples turned away and deserted. Many were offended. Many turned. Many thought this was going to be fun. Many thought this was going to fill my belly. This was going to pay my bills. This was going to work for me. And now we started to realize, mm, not so much. This really isn't working for us. And now look at this. Will you? This, is, this is where it gets awkward. This is where there's tension in the air. You can almost feel the tension. Because Jesus has had these guys walking with him for some time now, the 12 I'm talking about. And they've seen all kinds of things happen. And look, it says this. Jesus turned to the 12. He looks them directly in the eye. And he asks this question. Are you going to leave? You going too? Is it too, too hard for you? Too difficult for you? They're in a crisis of faith. They're 10 minutes from leaving. They're 10 minutes from walking out. They're 10 minutes from while Jesus was looking that way, you know, I don't want the pastor to ring me and find out where I am next Sunday or anything like that. I'm just not going to start turning up. I'm just sort of, you know, maybe when he looks the other way, then we can take off out of here. Because this isn't working for me. There ain't a thing we're going to call a crisis of faith. In fact, I want to suggest if you didn't hear this morning's message, it'll be on our podcast on Tuesday. You need to listen to it. It talks about the wall. It says you all hit the wall. Jesus just ran these guys into that wall that Pastor Tim talked about this morning. I reckon this is the exact thing that was preached here in this, in this room this morning. I'm going to show you how the disciples respond to it, and you never want to forget this because we're all going to hit the wall. And I'll tell you what the wall looks like. He gave some very clear illustrations this morning, but I wanted to define it like this. Um, you know you have a crisis of faith when what you get or is in the way of what you believe, or what you want to get, I should say, is in the way of what you believe. In other words, I want to get her, but she's in the way of what I believe. What am I going to do? I want to get that, but to get that... That's in the way of what I believe. This is a crisis of faith. When what you want is in the way of what you believe. And we're all going to be there. If you haven't been there recently, you're going to be there again. You're going to want something and it's going to be in the way of what you believe. And it happens all the time. Um, The the, the statistic was given this morning that 80% of Christians don't make it through the wall. Well, I don't know what the stats were around this, but we can see most of them left and there's just a few here. So there's a sense in which this is outliving the message that we've heard this morning. 
So I reckon you ought to lean in because I've seen it happen. I, I, I've seen people come to church and, you know, oh, God saved my, you know, saved my soul. He's forgiven my sin. He's just so wonderful. Hallelujah. He's given me so much. He's filling my belly, right? And then you, you, you sort of you go along a little bit and all of a sudden, hang on a minute. What about this? And what you get gets in the way of what you think you believe. And people say things like this. They say, oh, church doesn't work for me. I tried the Christian thing. I tried the Jesus thing. Didn't really work for me. It didn't get me what I wanted in the end. I thought it was going to. It, it filled my belly for a bit, but then there was something else I wanted. The world gives you an image of success, and you think, well, I want to be successful. I want that, but that's fair in the way of what I believe. So what am I going to do? You're going to be offended and warped like everybody else? The question he asked the disciples, Jesus is going to ask you. Happens in workplaces, you know. You'll go to a place of employment and you'll see everybody doing a certain thing and you might even make a decision. You know, I'm going to tell the truth, you know. I'm not going to lie on my, on my timesheets. I'm not going to lie about the products I'm selling. I'm not going to lie about where I've been or what I do. And you'll see everyone around you, you know, fudging the timesheets and getting extra overtime. People around you telling stories and getting away with it and getting ahead. And it'll all be fine until all of a sudden you can't pay a bill and all you've got to do is fudge the timesheet a few extra hours, you get those few extra bucks to pay your bill. What you want is in the way of what you believe. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's going to happen. Jesus brings us all to the wall. This is the same way he brought the disciples to the wall with this, this shocking statement. I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Ooh, yuck. Man, we're going to go somewhere else. I've seen it happen in church many times where a young man, a young woman looking for a, a, a spouse. You know, I've checked all the girls out in the church. There's none here that, you know, none here that, that tick all the boxes for me. <laughs> but boy, I found this cute little girl at work. <laughs> you know? Well, she's not a Christian, but I'll tell you something. You know, uh, I'm going to bring her to church. So I'm going to make her a Christian because she's a lovely girl and she's real cute and I like her. <laughs> Or uh, I found this boy at this nightclub, and he's just everything I dreamed about, you know? I mean, he's good-looking, he's handsome, he's, he's intelligent, he's got a good job. Not like those loser boys at church I hang around, you know? <laughs> I'm going to... I, I know he's not a Christian, but, oh, he's just what I want. And what I want is in the way of what I believe, and I have a crisis of faith. And it happens. <laughs> I've seen it happen in a season of marriage. This is true. I've seen people whose marriages have been on the rocks and other people have prayed for them. Said, you know, we'll take the kids so you can go out and, you know, have, have a night out together and, you know, we'll do what we can and we're counselling her and, you know, he's counselling the other guy. They say, you know, stay together. We're praying for you to get together. You know, you, you, can, you can work it out. You can make it through. And they make it through and the marriage is reconciled. And the two people that were there walking the journey with them, helping them and praying for them, blah, 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 they hit a crisis and they, they separate. <laughs> and it's like the very... The very thing that they said they believed, all of a sudden what they wanted got in the way. Because they don't want him anymore. I don't want her anymore. I've got a better option over here. I can't, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pursue it anymore. Because what I wanted is in the way of what I believe. You do a cost-benefit analysis. 
but they were cost-benefit analysis of church. Church used to work for me. It used to fill my belly more than it took from me. Now it's taking more from me than it's giving to me. I think I might give it a miss. Jesus used to give me more than he took. But now I feel he's taking more than I get. I'm feeling used after I said, Jesus, use me. (laughs) And now I'm at a crisis of faith. It's been going on for 2,000 years, folks. You're not the first person to hit the wall. You're not the first person to have a crisis of faith. But I want to show you something. I want to show you what Peter says in verse 68. You've got to see this. Because Peter gives us an insight into human behavior. He shows us what to do. It's counterintuitive, right? It's, it's, it's the opposite of what you feel to do. But I'm so glad you're here tonight because you're going to hit a crisis of faith. And because you're here, you'll know what to do. You might even want to write this down because this is not, um, this is not the normal response, right? This is, you, this is not what you are naturally going to do. For some reasons, what Peter did, now, I don't know, if, you know if, where he got this from. I don't know why he did this because this isn't what I would do. But this is what you do. In the middle of a crisis of faith, this is what you do. Let's see what he says in verse 68. He says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Isn't that profound? Did you see the wisdom of that? Did you see how counterintuitive that is? Did did, did you see how, how profound that response is? Did you? No? Yeah, okay, one, okay. For those of you who didn't, let me explain it for you, right? He considered his options, not his questions. You know what you do in a crisis of faith? You consider your questions. You go, well, you know, if, if I don't marry her, then who, Lord? Right? If I don't, I can't get, you're full of questions of doubt, aren't you? In your crisis of faith. Well, what about this and what about that and what about this and what about that? And what happens is your mind gets clogged with questions, doesn't it? Peter's mind didn't get clogged with questions. Peter considered his options. And that's how you respond in a crisis of faith. You don't replay it all your mind. Oh, well, what about this and what about that? And how come this and why, you know, this did you know, and he should have done that and she shouldn't have done this and why did that happen? That went wrong and what about this? You know, you are filled with questions. And Peter did not fill his mind with questions. Peter was clear around one thing. Peter says, I have no other options. (laughs) Where else do I go? It's a powerful thought, isn't it? We could we could talk about this all night. Because it brings with it so much, so many implications. He makes something so clear, and it's this to refuse to follow God is to choose to follow someone else. (laughs) So if you go, well, I'm not gonna follow Jesus, then answer, then who are you gonna follow? What option do you have? Consider your options. Don't let your mind be clouded with all the questions. See, before 
you get all depressed and before you get all victimised by what you haven't got and what you should have got, ask yourself this question, who else has what he has? He says this, he says, you have eternal life. We believe in verse 69 and we know that you are the Holy One. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying this. He's saying, look, this isn't working out as we thought, right? And we want to go because everyone else is leaving. We don't like the concept of drinking your blood and eating your flesh. We think that sounds weird. There's no, there's no doubt it's weird, Jesus, right? There's no doubt you're weird. Right? That's not even an argument. We're not arguing the validity of eat your blood, or sorry, drink your blood and eat your flesh. I'm not interested in eating your flesh. I'm not interested in drinking your blood, to be quite honest with you. But hey, we know too much. We, we know that you have the words of eternal life. So what option do we have? Where else are we going to go? I don't like the sound of this, but I know this. You have the answers. And I don't know anybody else who has the answers. And we could walk away because we're offended. We could walk away because we're discouraged. But we know this. We know we're going to be back real soon. (laughs) We know that when we walk away, it's only going to be a matter of time that we come back. And you can walk away and you can come back. And I'll I'll assure you, Jesus will have you back. And I'll assure you, he'll love you. But you know something? You'll lose, and I'll tell you why you'll lose. If you're a teenager or you're in your 20s, listen up real careful, because I've seen this happen too many times. I've too many times, kids in their late teens, right, or or early 20s, and they've hit a crisis of faith because what they want got in the way of what they believed. They know they went to church and they believed and it was all lovely, honky-dory, went to youth group, they couldn't wait to go to the youth group, but after a while they were leading, I'm going to blow this for a joke, I've had enough. (laughs) And, And they get to a crisis of faith, and then they start seeing things, an image of success in the world. You know, let's go to nightclubs, let's hang out with boys, or let's go to nightclubs and hang out with girls, or whatever it might happen to be. Let's go here, let's go there. And they hit this, what they want is in the way of what they believe, and what are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do, you're going to consider your options. Who else has the words of eternal life? Because I'll tell you what if you go, I'll tell you what, I've seen it happen. I can name people who I saw one day, I thought they were going to be a youth pastor in this church. But what they uh, wanted got in the way of what they believed. They left the church. I can tell you one, I could point to them. There was no good, there's no good looking, this is a true story, please don't repeat this. There was no good looking girls in the church. This bloke actually said this, I can't find any girl in the church I want. There's these good looking girls at the nightclub. He went to the nightclub, he went through one girl, one girl, one girl. Years later, came back to the church, found the girl and married her. And uh, God bless him. <laughs> God bless him. But sadly, those 10 years, those formative years in his early 20s, had gone. Now he's 30. Guess what? The same opportunities aren't there. God can restore your relationship with him, but he can't give you back your 20s. I'm sorry. If Satan can steal your 20s, he'll steal it. Because he knows that there's your 20s that sets you up for your 30s and then the rest of your life. And God will have you back in your 40s. He'll even have you back in your 50s. For crying out loud, probably even in your 60s. I don't really know why he'd bother, but he would. Because he'll love you no matter how old you are, no matter when you come back to him. But that's not the point. 
point is you've missed the greatest formative years of your life and they're never coming back. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. Because what you wanted got in the way of what you believed. And you sort of allowed all the questions and what about this and what about that to pull you away rather than simply focusing on what your options were. Who else has the words of eternal life? Where else do you find eternal life? Where else can you, can you find somebody who can lead you even beyond the few short years we have in this world? And this world is so much more fragile than what we like to believe. And your life is so much more fragile than what you'd like to believe. We like to think that we are, you know, we're dynamite. We're, we, you know, we're, we're the bomb. We, we got it, man. We're indestructible. But the truth is, life goes like that. And you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. And then you'll wind up in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, looking back and think, man, I spent the best years of my life in this crisis, allowing what I want to get in the way of what I believed. And your life becomes something less than what it could have been. It's as simple as that. And that's just the way it is. When Jesus said, drink my blood and eat my flesh, (laughs) that group had no concept of what he was talking about. But he let them hit the wall to determine whether or not they'd consider their options and realise that no one else had the words of eternal life but him or whether they were just in it for having their stomachs full. And you'll have exactly the same thing happen. You will have exactly the same thing happen. And what will you do? Consider your options? Or will you do the intuitive thing? Will you do what everybody does? And why God? And why this? And why that? And what about this? And how about that? And consider all. I, I don't know anybody who comes to faith because they have all their questions answered. I don't know anybody who's a Christian who has all their questions answered. So why leave faith because you can't get all your questions answered? That's never been a criterion anyway. Yet so many people leave. You go, oh, what about this? What about that? What about this? And you know, was it seven literal days? Or you know, <laughs> what about this? What about that verse? That doesn't make any sense. No, doesn't need to. The only question you need to ask: Does anyone else have the words of eternal life? Let's bow our heads, pray together. Father, tonight. We thank you that, Lord, nobody else has what you have. Lord, and while there might be people out there peddling all kinds of various hope, answers to longings in our heart, we might find somebody who we think will fulfill us, be our soulmate, or or make us feel important. Lord, nobody, nothing, offers eternal life outside of you. Nothing offers the real life, the words of life outside of you. Just put your heads up and your eyes are closed. I don't know who in this room, and you've been contemplating, you know, your future. Maybe things haven't been going as 
well as you thought they ought or as well as you thought they should. Tonight I'm wondering, maybe you're 10 minutes from leaving the church. Maybe you're turned up tonight and you think, yeah, well, I'll give it another go. I'll give it another go, but really your heart is elsewhere. Can I encourage you tonight? Don't look to have all your questions answered because that will never happen. Just consider your options. Who else has the words of eternal life? Can I bring you back to Jesus tonight? Can I bring you back to him? In Jesus' name. Though I pray for everybody in this room tonight. That, Lord, when they hit that wall, when they hit their crisis of faith, Lord, they wouldn't let all the myriad of questions fog their minds. But, Lord, they had that clarity of option concerning who really has to offer them what their heart actually needs. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Why don't we stand together? Why don't we stand together? Thank you for listening to this podcast.